bondage of sin anymore. I'm still amazed that Jesus would pay a debt I could not afford. I've never got past it. I'm free at last from the sin that made me a slave. I still feel as much as when he first touched me. I'm still amazed. I'm amazed you know how far God would go to save a lost and free. I'm still in all that He gave it all for Lord, sinner like me. I've never got over that this King would shoulder my sin with all its disgrace. For a kingly throne I'm still at a loss Why he'd take the cross Instead of a street of pure gold He's the only king Who gave everything In exchange for a cold, dark grave I still love to ponder This God-given wonder Oh, yes I'm still amazed. I'm amazed to know how far God would go to send a lost and free. I'm still in all that He gave it all for an old sinner like me. I've never got over that this King would shoulder my sin and all this disgrace. Yeah.
I'm going to give you some time to find this book. It's kind of hard to find. The book of Genesis. <laughs> Sometimes at our church, I have uh, taught a new converts class before, you know, discipleship class. And sometimes, and I, I get a mean streak in me, and I know I probably shouldn't do that, but sometimes I'll walk in there, and they're, they're all set, you know, their Bible, and I'm thinking, so, all right, i got to step out for just a minute. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Uzziah, and I'll be back in just a little bit. I come back about five minutes later, they're all in there thumbing around. Man, that's awful, ain't it? Preacher, do you like that? But anyway, we've got to have fun when we come to church. Boy, the singing was a blessing tonight, wasn't it? And uh, thank you all so much. What a blessing. And uh, thank God for the good, good Spirit of God and just the opportunity to be in church on a Tuesday night. I hope you've had a good day, and it is good to see you back. What a good crowd on a, on a Tuesday night. I couldn't even find it. I had to park. I parked over at the gas station and had to walk over here tonight. No parking places. And that's good. Praise the Lord. You know, there's two things a church can, well, really three things a church can never have too much of. Number one, love. Can I have an amen? Number two, money. Can I have an amen? And number three, parking places. And uh, so uh, uh, I, I'm glad you're here. Isn't it good to have to ride around, find a parking place at church? Isn't that a blessing? I mean, some places you go, you can just pull right front door and jump out. And, and, uh, and, uh, but over here, man, I had to ride around. The, I, I always pass this first one and go to the second one. So I had to back up tonight, come around the first one. And uh, so anyway, I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. Again, we got folks here from Woodland tonight. I see some back here. I love our church family. I appreciate them coming tonight. Uh, hear these old second-run sermons again. And, but I love y'all. Thank you for being here. Appreciate the folks from, uh, from Faith Community being here. And I love y'all. I've been coming here. I came here. I've been coming here. Before coming here was cool. I mean, I was coming years ago. And uh, so uh, uh, when the other preacher was here, Brother Larry, Brother Larry, Brother Larry, help me. Yeah, him, <laughs> Larry Walker. I was coming back in, man, and I'm telling you what, and I love Brother Larry, and it was, church was good back then, but church is good. It's good, and I appreciate Brother Brian, how the Lord is using him here in this place, and, um, and thank, you for, thank you for allowing the Lord to bless this place. I think God wants to bless our churches more than, than we uh, sometimes will allow him to bless our churches, and uh, so thank you for the good spirit of God and uh, for your sweet spirit as well. Heard a story one time, has nothing to do with the message tonight. Heard a story one time about this a guy on this Harley Davidson motorcycle, and he, and he pulled up to a stoplight, and he kind of slid in sideways, throwing gravel everywhere, and he was standing there, and he was sitting there waiting on the light to change to green, and he was, you know, revving it, you know how them things sound. When this old codger pulled up along beside of him in a motorized wheelchair, and the guy on the Harley Davidson looked over at that old codger in that motorized wheelchair and said, Old man, you want to race? And he said, well, I guess so. And the light turned green, and I mean that guy on that Harley peeled out of there. He was throwing rocks everywhere and smoke in the background. And he looked down in the mirror, and that little old guy on that motorized wheelchair was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then about 30 seconds later, he looked again in his mirror, and here come that old guy, and he got bigger and bigger and bigger till he flew past him got way out there and got smaller and smaller and smaller. Then just a few minutes later, here he come again, got bigger and bigger and bigger. The, the guy on the motorcycle passed him, he got smaller and smaller. This went on three or four times. And finally, way down the road, a stoplight caught that guy on that Harley. He slid in there. A little bit later, he'd come out old guy up in that old motorized wheelchair and just fell over. That guy on that Harley looked down at him and said, Oh man, you okay? He said, Yeah. He said, but will somebody please unhook my suspenders from your handlebars? You'll get it later. That's funny. Can I have an amen? Yeah, that's funny, man. As a preacher, sometimes you, you do crazy things. I stay in trouble a lot. I told a man today, I said, man, I'd like to just sit in my office and get three sermons a week, go to the hospital, weddings, funerals, and just... Everybody leave me alone. <laughs> and, and that don't happen. Very, you know, the ministry would be a great thing one for people. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, I was talk, uh, as a preacher, you stay in trouble a lot. Heard about this one guy, and uh, he went to visit one of his men. 
and uh, he was very sick. He knocked on the door, and the wife came to the door, and he said, well, I come by to see how he's doing. She said, oh, he's not doing good today. He's doing bad. And uh, she said, uh, well, go on back, preacher, and have prayer. I think he's awake. And he went back there and stood beside the bed, took the man by the hand, spoke a few words with him. He said, look, I'm going to pray. And as he stood there, the man just got weaker and weaker, and he was struggling to breathe. And he said, I'm going to pray, and I'll go on. So he grabbed his hand and he prayed for him and the man was, he was just struggling to breathe and finally he got done praying. He said, all right, I'm going to slip on out. And the man said, he was trying to talk to the preacher and he couldn't, and the preacher couldn't make out what he was saying. And there happened to be a pad and a pen right there beside the table. And he said, look, write it down. And the man that was in very sick wrote a, scribbled out a little note and the preacher just took it and stuck it in his pocket. Went on about his business, forgot about it. Well, the man passed away. Three or four days later when he did his service, the preacher was talking about what a good man, good memory was of the church. And, and he said, as a matter of fact, he said, I hadn't even thought about this, but he said, I got the last words he spoke on this earth. In fact, he wrote them down. He said, I got the note here in my pocket. And he opened it up and he read it. And he said, you're standing on my oxygen hose. Okay, that's all right. You don't have to laugh, but you know it's funny. You may not be laughing on the outside, but I know one thing. You're about to have a fit on the inside. Can I read tonight Genesis chapter 12, page number 20 in the Old Schofield Bible? I want to read, uh, I want to read three verses tonight. I want to read two from chapter 12, and I'd like to read one, uh, maybe a couple from chapter 13. Look at Genesis 12. Verse number 7, the Bible said, And the Lord appeared unto Abram. And by the way, later on, he's going to start tithing, and God's going to put a ham on the end of his name. And if some of us would tithe, God might put a ham on the end of our name as well. But this is Abram, who will later become Abraham. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto, and said unto thy seed, Will I give this land? And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Now look at verse 8. And he removed, and Abram removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now go over to chapter 13 for just a moment. Look at verse number 3. Well, could I read verse 1, 2, 3, and 4? I want to get to verse 4, but look at verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, and into the south. And Abraham, Abram was very rich in cattle, and silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now there's a common denominator, if you picked up on it, there's a common denominator in the three verses that I'm emphasizing tonight. Verse 7, verse 8, and verse number 4. All three verses mention the word altar. Verse 7 talks about an altar. Verse 8 talks about an altar. And verse number 4 talks about the altar. For just a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. When a trip to the altar is needed. When a trip to the altar is needed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the good singing tonight. My heart has been blessed. Thank you for the sweet spirit of God. And Lord, just the atmosphere and worship and fun and joy that is in this place. Lord, I sure do thank you that that uh, you're good at being God. You're good, and you're good at being God. And thank you for your blessings upon our life. Thank you for letting us have church, for meet together, meeting together as we are tonight. And I just want to pray and thank you for the singing. But Lord, I don't want the singing to be the climax of the service tonight because we've gathered here in this place to hear the Word of God. And Lord, I would just pray you'd bless your word tonight. Speak to our hearts. The music, the singing has prepared our heart for worship. But Lord, would you speak to us now from the Bible and help us from this text, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. The book of Genesis consists of 50 chapters. One of the longer books of our Bible. However, the book of Genesis can be divided into two, two sections. There's the first 11 chapters, and then there's the last, what, 40, uh, 38 chapters of the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters deals with the beginning of the human race, how everything came to be in the human race. We find four great events in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. There was creation. Can I have an amen? Hey, I'm glad we know that this thing just didn't get here by accident. God created this place. Can I have an amen? There's creation. There's corruption. Aren't you glad we got a Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible? I mean, if we didn't have a Genesis chapter 3, we would move from a perfect place with perfect people on a perfect planet to Adam and Eve in chapter 4 being banished from the Garden of Eden and burying their boy. Uh, and we would think to ourselves, what in the world just happened here? But aren't you glad we got a Genesis chapter 3? which tells us why we're in the mess that we're in tonight in this world. There's, there's creation. There's, there's corruption. There's catastrophe. That's Genesis 6. When God sent the flood upon this old world. And then we have confusion in Genesis chapter 9 and 10 when God came down and confounded and confused the languages and God scattered the people abroad and God segregated uh, the races of the people and sent people to various parts of the world. We have the beginning of the human race in the first 11 chapters. Beginning in chapter number 12, God, as it were, reaches down into the human race and chooses one race to be His people. So we have the beginning of the Hebrew race. And just as there are four great events in the, in the creation of the human race, there are four great patriarchs in the building of the Hebrew race. There's, uh, there's Isaac, the well digger. There's Jacob, the trickster, the supplanter. He's a good Baptist. He's always deceiving somebody. There's Joseph, what a man Joseph was. But it all begins with this man by the name of Abraham. In our text tonight, we find that Abraham has builded an altar. Can I stop and say that Abraham's life basically was characterized by two things. Number one is tent and number two is altar. His tent reflected his attitude toward this world. Abraham realized that this world was not his home. He would not drive his pegs down too deep. He would not become too bogged down in this world. Oh, I wish a lot of God's people could get a hold of that truth. Hey, this is not our final place. We got a home somewhere up the sides of the north where we're going to live with God forever and ever and ever. Hey, let's don't get too bogged down in this old world. This old world will mess us up. This old world will seek its fangs into us and inject us with its poison and destroy us and destroy our family. Oh, I want to tell you, we ought to have the attitude that Abraham had toward this world. We're not here. We're just passing through this world. That was characterized by his tent. But then his altar characterized or reflected his attitude toward that world. Abraham realized that if he was going to stay right with God, that he was going to have to have an altar in his life. And I just want to say that pretty much is still true to our day. In our day, if we're going to stay right with God, living in this perverse and wicked and corrupt society and world that we're living in today, if we're going to stay close to God, we're going to have to have an altar somewhere in our life. Amen. And every once in a while, everybody needs to make a trip to the altar. I was reading the other week about different allergies you know, this is the time of the year when people start saying maybe something to the effect, well, my allergies are flaring up. You know, the leaves are starting to die and turn and come off the trees. There's a lot of dust and stuff floating around in the air. And, and some people say, man, my allergies flare up during this time of the year. An allergy is when something enters into your immune system. And, and as that foreign subject has entered into your immune system, your, uh, uh, your immune system responds to that foreign subject. It could be something uh, you eat. It, it could be something that you inhale into your lungs. It could be something that you inject into your body. It could even just be something that you touch. And, and it triggers an allergic reaction. It can cause you to have a, a runny nose, it can cause you to cough, get the hives, 
rashes, itchy eyes, runny noses, a scratchy throat. And in severe cases, it can lower your blood pressure, give you breathing problems, cause you to have an asthma attack and even death. That's right. Allergies are really no laughing matter. Over 100 million people. And by the way, there's only 320 million of us here in America, at least, at least legally. Can I have an amen? But out of the 320 million, there's over 100 million people in America that have some form of an allergy. The same article went on to list some of the things that can trigger an allergic outbreak. Some of you tonight are allergic to foods. You, you're allergic to, you have a peanut allergy. I feel sorry for you. One of my favorite things to eat is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Thank God, I think they'll have them at the marriage supper. If they taste that good with the curse on them, how good is it going to be when the curse is off of them? <laughs> Food allergies. Some people have drug allergies. You can't take penicillin. If you do, man, your eyes will swell up. You, uh, maybe something terrible happened to you. Some people have it, an allergic reaction to latex. Sometimes I go to the hospital, uh, my grandchildren, I'll get them, you know, when you used, when, that, during the days of COVID, when you walked in, you had to look like you were doing surgery when you went to visit somebody. I used to walk in, I had the mask on, the gown on, the, the um, gloves on. I'd walk in like this and say, well, come take your tithe out. <laughs> I, I got them gloves, man, I swear. You, they make good bouncy balloons. You blow them up, tie the end of them. They got, look like a rooster's head, you know, with that thing coming out. The top. My grandkids love to play. But some of you, if you touch one of them, man, you'll start scratching and itching and break out in the hives. Some people it's pollen. Some people that it's insects. But when I read that list of things that can cause an allergic reaction, I found that they left one off. They left off the altar. Because a lot of people in our day have become allergic to the altar. They don't get near it. They avoid it. They shun it. They bypass it. They stay as far from, away from it as is possible. But everybody, once in a while, ought to make a trip to the altar. Can I have an amen? I got to tell you something. I don't worry about people near as much who come to the altar every service as I worry about people who never come to the altar. I've been pastoring at Woodland, preaching at Woodland for 27 years now. The first Sunday of January of next year, I'll start my 28th year. The amazing thing about it is I just turned 27. Got me right out of the nursery, voted me in. And uh, I've been there for, well, almost 20, uh, into 27 years. I, there are some people in our church, and we have a good church, but there are some people in our church I ain't never seen on the altar. Now, there's something wrong with you if you can come to church for 27 years and God not speak to your heart about something. God not convict you, the Holy Ghost of God not get a hold of your heart and squeeze you and convict you about something. I'm telling you, man, there's something wrong somewhere if you can come to church all those years and in all those years not make one trip to the altar. I say again, sometimes everybody needs to make a trip to the altar. I think people worry about too much what other people are going to think about them. Can I have an Amen. The Bible said the fear of man bringeth a snare. And sometimes God deals with us and we know we ought to come, but we're so afraid about what somebody else is going to think or somebody else is going to say about it. Let me give you a news flash, flash friend. This just in from the throne room. They already thinking it. They already saying it. So who cares? Can I have an amen? Who cares what they think? Who cares what they say? Well, I thank God that I'm a member of a church that still has an altar. Amen. 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 While I'm right here, let me just say this. I love your preacher with all my heart. But, uh, you know, in our day, a lot of uh, churches now, uh, even of our flavor, are quitting their Sunday night services. I am amazed. I'm appalled at the churches. Uh, the independent, fundamental, premillennial, fundamental, sometimes fundamental, Baptist churches that are quitting their Sunday night service. And they make it sound so spiritual. It goes something like this. Well, we want our, our, our families to enjoy some family time at home. Look at me. They ain't staying at home on Sunday night watching gun smoke. They're at Walmart. You just give them another night off to do whatever it is they want to do. I tell you, you can't get more better family time than coming to the house of God. Amen. Amen. I'm glad we got a church. This church. I'm glad it's got an altar. 
I'm glad our church has an altar that's always open. Preacher just said that a moment ago, whether it's through the singing or through message, what music message, how it was he said that, music message, mystery, uh, uh, macaroni, whatever he said, whatever's going on, the altar's always open. Uh, we got a church that has an altar. We have a church that's altar's always open. I thank God that our church that has an altar that's always open is open to anybody who ever needs to come to the altar. I just want to say tonight, thank God for the altar tonight. You know, in the Old Testament, the altar was a place. Uh, it was a place. It was a brazen altar and made out of brass. Brass symbolizes judgment in the Bible. And the average, as average Israelite, that's as far as they could go. They would bring their, their sacrifice, present it to the priest there at the altar. And that was it, man. That's as far as they could go. But let me just tell you something. The New Testament, the altar is not necessarily a place as much as the altar is a person, friend. I'm glad Jesus, Hebrews chapter 13, about verse number 10 says, we have an altar. And it's in reference to the Lord Jesus tonight. When we come, we're just not coming to a place. Hallelujah. We're coming to meet with a person when we come to the altar. Watch this. Listen. When you come to the altar, you feel God. When you come to the altar, you find grace. When you come to the altar, you fight guilt. That's going to be mighty important. Memorize that. Memorize that. When you come to the altar, you feel God. I know you can feel him in the pew. Yes, sir. But there's nothing like getting up out of the pew and making a trip down to the altar because it's the altar, the place that God has always chosen to meet with humanity. And when you meet with God, I'll tell you what, bless your heart, you'll feel God when you come to the altar. Can I tell you something? You'll find grace when you come to the altar. Can I tell you something? You'll fight guilt in your life when you make a trip to the altar. We have an altar. Thank God for that. And every once in a while, everybody needs to make a trip to the altar. In our text tonight, and I'm wrapping this up, but I want you to begin verse number 7, verse 8, and then chapter 13 and verse 4. We find three reasons why Abraham went to the altar. And I want to show you tonight, beginning in verse 7, I want to talk a little bit about these three reasons. And these are enough reasons tonight. I'm not just trying to get you to run down to an altar so I can go home and tell my wife, 750,914 people come down to the altar tonight. That's not what this is about. But I tell you what, what I do want you to do, what your preacher desires is for you to be a little bit closer to God than you were when you walked in those buildings, those doors tonight. And this is a place, the Bible said this, when we draw nigh to God, you complete it. James 4, 8. He what? We're from the country. How many of y'all from the country? Can I give you the Gammon's version of that verse? We're from the country. And it goes something like this. When we scrooge up to God, God will scrooge up to us. Can I have an amen? Yeah, we know those of us that are married. Now, the Bible said you don't scrooge before marriage. Can I have an amen? No scrooching before marriage. Hey, thank y'all for coming. Don't scrooge before you get married. I appreciate all y'all riding the van over here tonight. Look at me, boys. No scrooching before marriage. But after you get married, scrooge all you want to. On them cold nights, you and your wife, she'll scrooge up, you'll scrooge up. First thing you know, you're getting warm. That, uh, how can two lie together except they be warm? That's what Ecclesiastes said. But I'll tell you something, when we scrooge up next to God, He responds by that. When we hit the altar and we're getting, trying to get close to God, He responds by that, by scrooging up next to us. I'm telling you, what a feeling. We feel God. We find grace. We find guilt when we make a trip to the altar. Let me show you three reasons I'll, I'll be done. Look at verse 7. I find this out. Number one, made a Abraham made a trip to the altar when there's problems because of your family. Look at verse number 7. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, and he, did, he starts talking about two things. Number one, he starts talking about soil. And number two, he starts talking about seed. Look at verse number 7. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land or this soil. Now let me stop and tell you something. God didn't have near as much trouble with the soil as he did the seed. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And I'm going to tell you something. They may not have got it yet, but one day they're going to get every square inch of what God promised to Abraham. Every inch of it. Hey, and ain't no Muslim. There ain't no Democrat. 
There's no communist. There's no Republican. There's no, bless your heart, liberal. There's no atheist that's going to keep them from getting every square inch of what God promised them. God said, I'm going to give you some soil, Abraham. But I'm going to give you some seed to put on that soil. And there we have a problem. You know why? Boy, Abraham had a problem. Him and Sarah, they couldn't conceive. God made the promise to Abraham when he was 75. And when Abraham's 99, they still ain't got a boy. And by the way, not only is their biological clock quit talking, quit ticking, the hands of it's done falling off. I mean, there's no way a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman can have a child. I mean, that is biologically impossible. That can't happen until you factor God into the situation. But when you put God into the situation, there ain't nothing impossible with God. But here they are. God starts talking about Abraham's family. Boy, I'm telling you, you talk, Abraham wrote the book on dysfunctional families. You know the story. When they didn't have a child, and by the way, when God made that promise, I'd probably been like Abraham thinking, honey, go down yonder to the CVS, get the EPT test. We're going to have a boy here in about nine months. God's done made us a promise. God just didn't put a time limit on that. And in the meantime, while they're waiting and waiting and month after month and year after year, Abraham turns aside and brings in a pinch hitter and the person of, Ish, uh, the person of Hagar. And he goes into Hagar. And now we got, we got an adulterous affair and an other woman living in the same household with Abraham. You better know he's got problems. Can you imagine the friction in that home? Every night when they sit down to supper, and Abraham said, this is good cornbread. And Sarah said, I fixed that. And he said, these are the best green beans I've ever eaten in my life. And Hagar says, I fixed them. And Sarah cut her eyes at her. <sighs> Can you imagine the tension in Abraham's home? And there's running around Ishmael every time, everywhere, and every time Ishmael cries, Sarah's mad about it. She probably cries every night, cries herself to sleep. I don't understand, Abraham, why we can't have... Some of y'all been through those problems of month after month and year after year, and you think to yourself, I don't understand. I don't know what God... Why won't you give us a child? And, and we go through all those situations and scenarios. I'm here to tell you, man, Abraham wrote the book on dysfunctional families. Watch this. Ishmael comes. Then Isaac finally comes. And them two boys can't get along. They're constantly fussing. Abraham's constantly uh, refereeing fights. How many of y'all know? Can I get a witness right there? Refereeing fights from the back seat down the back chariot on the way to church. And there's Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael's a lot older than Isaac is. And them boys can't get along. And every time Ishmael picks on Isaac, Sarah fusses at Hagar. They're trying to go to church in that kind of an atmosphere. You talk about problems in the family. You think you got problems. And then he has Isaac. Isaac grows up. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Oh, my goodness. What a mess. Jacob has 12 boys. What a mess. Their lives, Simeon and Levi killed a whole entire town. Reuben went to bed with one of his daddy's wives, Bilhah. What in the world must a Bilhah look like? I mean, man, you talk about a mess. Abraham's life is a mess. So when God started talking about his family, the first thing Abraham did was got up and made a trip to the altar. I'll tell you, friend, when you got problems because of your family, don't you run from God. That's the time to pick everything up. And man, you don't worry about being a hip don't worry about trying to put on a show when you're having problems with your family pick it all up bring it to the altar you know why you'll find God feel God you'll find grace friend you'll find guilt when you make a trip to the altar tonight I wonder who in here tonight is having problems in their family I wonder tonight if there's a marriage in this room that's in the intensive care unit hooked up on life support Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a lady in here tonight who says, my husband is a bona fide jerk. Maybe there, now I don't, not, don't point at him. I didn't say point at him. I said, but maybe you say that. My husband is a bona fide jerk. Maybe there's a man sitting in here. My, my wife is as cold as an igloo. Preach, I tell you, we're just about to give up. 
We can't get along. We're constantly fighting. The kids can't get along. They're constantly fighting. Preacher, we're just, our marriage for years has been in intensive care unit, been on life support. Preacher, let's be honest with you. We're just about to unplug the plug and just call it quits and let it go. Hey, I get all that. I understand two sinners got married. I get the, uh, the, uh, the aggravation and the frustration. But before you unplug the cord, hey, make a trip to the altar. Look at me. Feel God. Find, uh, feel God. Hey, find grace. Hey, fight the guilt. Make a trip. Pick it up. Bring it to the altar tonight. What about your kids? I know I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. And your kid, maybe you got a kid that's rebelled and they've gone out in the world. You don't even know where they're at tonight. Or maybe you're here in this place and you still got teenagers in your family. And somebody once said this, and it's so true. When you get teenagers in your family, you kind of understand why some of the animals eat their young. <laughs> Gonna get a witness. How many of y'all like those directions on the back of a bottle of aspirin? Said take two aspirins and keep away from children. Is that not good advice? Buddy, when you get teenagers in your family, only thing I know to do, in case we're wrong and they're right, and hang on for dear life. Can I have an amen? But I'm telling you, maybe you got a wayward boy, you're seeing rebellion tendency starting to rise up in your teenagers. Can I give you some good advice? Don't throw in the towel. Hey, listen, pick it all up. Come to the altar. You know why? You'll feel God. You'll find grace. You can fight the guilt. Hey, by making a trip to the altar tonight. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here tonight and, boy, this is happening a lot in our independent Baptist churches, but parents... The kids coming into them and announcing to their parents that they're homosexuals or lesbians. I had lunch not long ago with a couple, no longer in our church, but from our church. And they called me and said, Preacher, could you meet me and my wife? We went to a restaurant, sat down. We sat down, Brother Brian, and they sat across from me. She just busted out crying. I thought, oh my goodness, I bet they're getting a divorce. Oh Lord, what can I do to help this couple? And he looked at me and he said, Preacher, our, our son walked in last night, attended our Christian school. Faithful, faithful family. Attended our Christian, left our church to go help another church. Walked in and said, Preacher, our son walked in last night and told us, announced to us he was homosexual. Listen to me. About two years later, met that same couple again. They come to me and said, Preacher, you're not going to believe this. We just found out our daughter is in a relationship with another, another girl. In our fundamental, independent Baptist churches. That man sat across from me that day and his wife sitting there wiping tears. And just weeping. And I know probably people thought, what in the world is going on? And he, he looked at me and he said, she told me, we might as well just get used to it. This is the way it's going to be. Can I tell you something tonight? Bless your heart. I'm not down on anybody. I promise you I'm not down on anybody that's had a child that's turned out that way or whatever. But over my dead body, am I just going to accept that's the way it's got to be? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on the altar. I don't care what deacon so-and-so says. I don't care what the women's fellowship leader has to say about it. I'm going to come to the altar every service. I'm going to get on this altar. You know why? I'm going to try to feel God. I'm going to try to find some grace. And you know the devil's been pronouncing guilt in their life. But the best way I know to keep guilt out of your life is get to God with your sin before the devil gets to God with your sin and run down to the altar. And brother, when you got problems in your family and the marriage is falling apart and the kids are breaking your heart, hey, pick it all up. Aren't you glad we got an altar we can go to? There's problems because of your family. Number two, look at this, when you're perplexed because of your famine. Make a trip to the altar. Look at verse 8. The Bible said in verse 8, Abraham built another altar. Verse 8. The Word of God said he built an altar in the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord, journey going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. Hold it, time out. Now wait a minute. Abraham's gotten the will of God. He's been out of the will of God for 75 years of his life. 
It's been living over Mesopotamia, the year of the Chaldees. Mesopotamia, the land of idolatry. Year of the Chaldees, the flames of destruction. He's been out of the will of God. God spoke to him, said, Abraham, get up, get out, leave everybody. Finally, he does it, finally obeys. Chapter number 12 and verse number 5, into the land of Canaan he comes. He's finally walking in the will of God. And the last thing you'd expect to find in the will of God is a famine. Can I have an Amen. You see, sometimes the devil lies to us and says, hey, if you'll get in the will of God, you won't have no more troubles. Where is that at in the Bible? The Joy Boys, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen. <laughs> who want to tell us that if you'll, just, if you'll just get in the will of God, you'll never get sick. You'll never have cancer. You'll never lose your job. You'll ride around in Rolls Royces. You'll wear floor shine shoes, wear Rolex watches and Italian suits. You'll never have another problem. There's only, that sounds good, but we know by experience, it don't work like that, friend. You can walk in the will of God and walk with God and it don't exempt you from getting cancer. It don't exempt you from having problems. Your washing machine can still break up. That old Ford can still tear up. That's what you got to get for owning a Ford. Look up in here. <laughs> Ouch. Are we going to take up a love offering this week? I'm so sorry I said that. I mean, y'all got Fords in here. I promise you I'm sorry I said that. I love y'all. Thank God for Fords. Smoking all. Thank God for Fords. Just because you try to live for God don't mean there won't come some famines, some troubles. Ladies and gentlemen, can I announce to you the best thing I know for you to do is when the wheels of your life run off, when the problems come. And by the way, if you looked at verse number 10, it just wasn't a famine. It was a grievous. You see that? That's the adjective that God used to describe the noun famine. There was a grievous famine in the land. I mean, buddy, look at me. The wells had dried up. The creeks had run dry. The livestock was dying. The crops had perished. I mean, man, everything was drying up. Hold it. Wait a minute. He's in the will of God. I mean, this stuff's not supposed to happen to you. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to announce to you sometimes walking in the will of God. You can still have problems. You can still have famines. You can still have uh, financial problems. You can still have things go wrong in your life. But when that happens, let me give you some good advice. Come to the altar. Why? It's at the altar we feel God. It's at the altar we find grace. It's at the altar we fight guilt. I'm here to tell you, everybody needs to make a trip to the altar once in a while. Watch this. I'm done. But I'll save the best one for last. When there's problems because of your family, when you're perplexed because of your famine. Are you in a famine tonight? I got to tell you something before I leave that. I hate dry things. Watch this. I hate dry cake. Do y'all hate dry cake? I like it when you mash it together, it looks like cake batter. I like when you cut into it, it runs. I'd rather have the batter than to have the cake any day of the week. Could I get a witness there? I tell my wife, just put me a bowl of batter in the house. I'm fine with that. I don't like dry cake. Watch this. I don't like dry cereal. I will on purpose pour milk in my cereal, my favorite cereal, Captain Crunch. I ain't eating that cardboard stuff. Y'all can have all them Raisin Bran stuff you want to have. That stuff clog you up, man. I ain't eating that mess. I want, I want some Captain. I want something. Give me some Apple Jacks, some Fruit Loops. Whatever. I ain't eating that cardboard stuff. And on purpose, I will get me a bowl of cereal when we come home for church on Sunday night, pour milk in it and set in the refrigerator for 30 minutes. So when I'm eating it, it's soggy. It's just dripping off the spoon. I don't like dry cereal. I don't like dry cake. And watch this. I don't like dry church. I like to come to the church every once in a while and feel something. But can I tell you something? I don't feel something every time I come. But I ain't going to quit coming. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I ain't feeling something, the problem is probably with me. I need to make a trip to the altar. Amen. Help me now. I've got problems because of my family. I'm perplexed because of my famine. But look at chapter 13 and verse 4. I'm pained because of my failure. 
Watch this now. So the famine came. And what did Abraham do? Look at verse number 10. When the famine came, the problems came. He left the will of God. He left the land of Canaan. And where'd he go? Where'd he go? Tell me, verse 10. Where'd he go? What's Egypt a type of? The world. First time it's mentioned in the Bible. Well watered in chapter 12. It's mentioned again in chapter 14. Egypt's a picture of the world. Can I tell you something about the world? God hates the world. Now watch this. God loves the sinners of the world. He just hates the system of the world. Aren't you glad God? You know, God has a love-hate relationship with the world. God loves the world. He hates the world. Somebody said, Preacher, explainify that one to me. I ain't getting that. God loves the world. God hates the world. Does God love the world or God hate the world? Yes. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, God loves and hates. He loves the sinners of the world, hates the system of the world. Can I have an amen? Everything about this world, the system of it is geared to pull us away from Jesus. To get our attention off of Him. Why can't they run them NASCAR races on Saturday? Why can't they play Little League Baseball on Saturday? Why can't they have family reunions on Saturday? Hey, why can't your kinfolk come see you on Saturday? Everything about this world is geared to pull our affection and distract us from Jesus. God hates the world. What did Abraham do when problems came? He turned his back on the will of God and went back out in the world. Listen, I want to give you some good advice, and I'm coming in for a landing. When problems come in your life, don't you quit church. If there's ever a time in your life you need church, it's when problems come in your life. When the famines come, the cake is dry, the cereal is dry, and the church is dry. Hey, that's when you need to stay in the will of God. And what did he do? He left there went down in the land of Egypt. And can I tell you something? He lost the best thing that he had while he was down there, and that was Sarah. You read it. Oh, oh, what's his name? Pharaoh took her in. Watch this. Can I borrow your mind for just a minute? He takes, a, a, Pharaoh takes Abraham's wife. He's, he lies. He threw her under the bus. I hate to be thrown under the bus. I've been thrown under the bus recently. I hate to be thrown. It ain't fun up under the bus. He said when he got down, he said, honey, you're a pretty woman. When we get down there, they might kill, kill me and steal you. Tell them you're my sister. Man, I tell you, that had to hurt her feelings because every woman wants a man that will stick up for her once in a while. Can I have an amen? That hurt her. And they got down there and Pharaoh took her into his harem. She's just one of the many wives of, of Pharaoh. You imagine Abraham living out there in that tent and every night in the palace when the final light went off, they blew the light. What thoughts was going through his mind? That is a good question, ain't it? What kind of thoughts is going through? And you know what he got in exchange for that? For his companion? A bunch of camels. You ever tried kissing a camel? That's what the Bible, look down at verse number, uh, verse number 16. He entreated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen. He asked men servant, maid servants. She asked and what? What did he get for his companion? A camel. Them things eat that cud and smack that mouth, got a hump on the back. Look, look, kind of looks like a horse that a Baptist church committee put together. And he's hugged up a one out there thinking, what, are, what is going on with my wife tonight? I'm telling you, man, he blew it when he went to Egypt. Lost the best thing he had. Watch this. When, when troubles come in your life and you turn and get out of the will of God, you're going to lose the best thing you got, your family, your wife. The Bible said, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Proverbs 18, 21. Lost the best thing he had. Living with a bunch of camels, snuggling, scrooching up with a camel, scratching fleas all night long, stinking thing, laying next to a camel, thinking, what's going on with my wife in the palace tonight? You know what God did? You know what God did? And I'm done. God went down to a place that he hated because he had a friend down there that got in trouble. Abraham's called a friend of God, ain't he? He's called the friend of God. And God had a friend that in the time of famine turned his back, went down into Egypt. And what did God do? God went down to a place that he hated because he had a friend that got into so much trouble that he couldn't get out of trouble. And God went down there and plagued the house of Pharaoh 
so his friend that was in trouble, he could get him out of trouble and get him back in the will of God. By the way, this ain't the last time God's going to go down into Egypt to get a friend out. Just over in the book of Exodus, he's going to go down into Egypt and get his family out. Amen. Aren't you glad that God loves me and you so much that even though we do dumb stuff and get out of the will of God and wind up sleeping with camels and scratching fleas and our wife is gone and God only knows we made some dumb decisions. Aren't you glad we got a God in glory that'll go down to a place that he hates. He'll go down to the beer joint, the dew drop dead end. He'll go over to the dance hall. No Baptist got any business dancing. He'll go over there. He'll go over to the meth house. Come on. Hey, he'll run over there. He'll run over there to the fire. I remember when all Baptist preachers used to preach against the fire. He'll run over there to the fire. He'll go to the wrestling ring. I didn't see these steps. I don't have to walk around no more. God will go where he's got to go and do what he's got to do to get a friend (laughs) out of trouble. Aren't you glad we got a God? Aren't you glad we got a God that loves us and will help us? Where do you find all that? Right here. Come here. Feel God. Come here. Find grace. Come here. Fight guilt. We got an altar. And everybody once in a while needs to make a trip to the altar. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I don't know what you's going on in your life tonight. I have no idea what's going on in your life tonight. I really don't. I don't know the, pro- the family problems, the problems that you've got because of your family. I don't know. I don't know if your marriage is on life support and you're thinking about just pulling the plug on it. I don't know if you've got a famine going on in your life right now. You're trying to serve God. You just filled out your tithing envelope, licked the envelope, put your name and your tithing number on it, put it in the plate Sunday, and the wheels just come off. Maybe you're pained by the failure. Maybe I preached last night about failure. And maybe you have failed God. Oh, maybe you failed the Lord. God said, don't, don't, don't go, don't go. And you went anyway. And you're living in failure tonight. I'm glad we got an altar where we can find God. I'm glad we got an altar where we can can feel, feel God and find grace. I'm glad we got an altar where we can fight guilt. She's singing. Let's stand together. Do you need to come? I don't worry near as much about people who come every service as those who don't ever come. When's the last time you made a trip to the... You say, preacher, I got no problems in my life tonight. Look at me. Good enough. That's why y'all to come to the altar tonight. Ain't I right, preacher? If you ain't got nothing going on in your life tonight, y'all just walk down here and say, God, I ain't coming to ask nothing. I just want to come and thank you that I got a little peace in my house when I close the blinds. I got a little shelter at home. My kids, I know where they're at. I, I, I'm okay. I had messed up. Hey, that's enough reason to make a trip to the altar tonight. She- Hello, friends. This is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school, for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat-and-meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. 
Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, and if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.